John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. You have accessed entry 749.2S1114, certificate number 35752. Mail trucks. Let me ask you something. What, what do you do for a living, Newman? I'm a United States postal worker. <laughs> Aren't those the guys that always go crazy and come back with a gun and shoot everybody? Sometimes. Why is that? Because the mail never stops. It just keeps coming and coming and coming. There's never a let up. It's relentless. Every day it piles up more and more and more. And you've got to get it out. But the more you get out, the more it keeps coming in. And then the barcode reader breaks. And it's publishes clearinghouse. All right, all right, all right. I don't want it to sound like I'm rubbing salt in the wounds of the future. But uh, mail delivery is one of the great accomplishments of our day. Oh, I thought you were referring to their gender. I was going to say, are, is this an episode about futureling? Like, like intelligent and masculine trucks? N no. Oh. You, you think they'll be threatened by mail trucks? No, I just mean the idea that I can just write a message to a friend, put a sticker on it, and uh, this vast apparatus will take it anywhere in the world for 48 cents or the whatever, US whatever, mail. whatever a, a stamp costs now. The U.S. mail. It's amazing. Do you know your letter carrier? I, I say hello to my letter carrier and have said hello to a variety of letter carriers over the years. <laughs> to sexy letter carriers? One letter carrier was always uh, listening to talk radio, pretty loud, so you could hear him coming. Conservative talk radio? No, it was sports radio. Oh, well, that's okay. One of the mail carriers always had headphones on. Very difficult to say hello. Uh, but now I've had a pretty stable mail carrier for several years. One of them actually came to me and said, will you park your truck differently so that I can get into the mailbox more easily? Not in a different place, just park it in a different manner? Yeah. Like in, in, a, in a more pensive way as you park it? or He meant like, you know, go in a little further so I can cut the corner, get to your mailbox. And did you do it? Oh, yeah. Every time I park now, I'm conscious of being out of the mail person's way. The only letter carrier story I think I have, and I think he's not our current letter carrier anymore, and certainly he won't be in thousands of years when this is unearthed, but uh, my wife was coming out of our house one day as he was putting the stuff in the box, and he said, hi, Mindy. And yeah. he only knows her name because he's been seeing it on envelopes. Yes. So it's an interesting etiquette question. Should he pretend he doesn't know her name and say, hi, ma'am? Because she felt it was a little invasive. 
Well, she I mean, does, she doesn't know him. He just sits there all day, presumably. How could you not all day fantasize about the people that you're delivering their mail? Because not only do you see their name, but you see the kind of mail they get. Like my mail carrier knows that I get envelopes from eBay and they're always kind of small. Um, and he must wonder, what is he doing in there? Because I, you know, I'll often like buy. I'm kind of curious too. What are you collecting in these small eBay parcels? Oh, I buy really ridiculous things like patches from the Lichtensteinian police department. You're buying Russian paratrooper patches. Come on. <laughs> and, uh, and little belt buckles and pins and stuff. Like I, when I'm on there and I see something that's if you're buying if you're buying Nazi stuff, you don't have to pretend it's from the they, Lichtenstein you know what? They don't department. sell Nazi stuff on eBay. They're pretty good about policing that stuff. Like not even actual Third Reich memorabilia. No, they have. You know, they'll sell army stuff from the Wehrmacht, mm. but nothing with a swastika on it that I ever see. That's good. That's probably international law. I mean. There, there are places where it would be illegal. To it would buy be that illegal stuff. in Germany to sell that stuff. So, but so, you know, my great grandfather was a mail carrier. Really? Yeah. Throughout his life, he was a farmer and owned a, you know, owned a big farm in Ohio, but he delivered the mail. Like rural, uh, yeah. rural routes? Yeah. What did he drive? Huh. Oh, that's a good question. I never asked my mother whether he had a mail truck or not. Because in our day, uh, they're ubiquitous. The, U.S. mail is generally delivered in these big, boxy, aluminum light trucks. Right. They're all painted white with uh, red and blue stripes and the U.S. mail logo. Right. Which is currently kind of this... It's an eagle, right? Yeah, it's, a, it's an eagle's head on this kind of a parallelogram shape that suggests an envelope. But of course, that's not what I, you know, I associate the U.S. mail still with the old logo, the 70s one of my childhood, which was a... The little car cartoon man with a hat, right? There's a cartoon man with a hat? Yeah. Well, oh, I'm sorry. That was not a bell uh, rung for your for your question. Are you thinking of the New England Patriots logo? No. Is that is that what you think the U.S. mail is? No. Because those are two very different logos, John. The the uh, the mailman logo of the 1970s. I'm thinking of the other eagle, where it, it's got the, it's a white bald eagle head off, and his uh, his wing is curved back. That's what used to be on um, mailboxes until the the mid 90s rebranding. And I don't like the current one at all. The, the, they call it the Sonic Eagle. I really like the oh yeah the, the, the eagle, eagle in flight. The eagle appears to be uh, our current logo appears to be a um, uh, an eagle that's actually breaking the sound barrier because of the the streaks or whatever. Yeah, the streaks. Oh right, the He's old, a very sleek aerodynamic one. Yeah, you the see old what I logo mean. with the eagle who appears to be about to take flight. Let me let me. So look at that logo of the eagle about to take flight. If you have access to one future links, look at it as well. When I was a kid, and I cannot unsee it now, I was told it was a. I couldn't see what it was. I was told it was a bird, and I thought it was like a cardinal's head, where the eagle's wing is actually the crest, and the bald eagle head is the beak. Oh. I don't know. Can you kind of see that? It looks like Woody Woodpecker. Can you kind of see Woody Woodpecker? <laughs> so my whole childhood, I thought we were seeing the head of a very poorly drawn eagle. And it wasn't until later that I actually suddenly copped to. Yeah, that would be a very strange way for your eye to read that. No, this is logo. the default way I saw it. Hmm. And I'm sure that was correct. I'm sure every, every good-hearted American child also... Intriguing. Before I, <laughs> I have no response to this, to, to this bad take. But it makes a much better patch for a uniform. 
It says U.S. Mail instead of United States Postal Service. In kind of a weird Star Trek The Next Generation font with futuristic A's. It does have futuristic A's, and it also has a registered trademark symbol, which it's not necessary. They got tired of people on eBay ripping them off. Yeah, People are sending you counterfeit U.S. Postal Service stuff all the time. But yeah, I prefer the old uh, logo too, but really I prefer the old mail trucks, which were basically Jeep CJ5s. They were Jeeps. Well, so before the Jeeps even, there's a long history of what the U.S. Postal Service used to deliver the mail. The logo before 1970 is a different kind of animal at all. Do you know what they used before the Eagle? No. It's a horse. (laughs) Like in 1969, the Post Office Department logo was just like a, a guy with a horse and a pouch. And it looks like it... Like a Pony Express. Yeah, it's the Pony Express, basically. And it looks like it could have been drawn in... 1850 or 1950. It's totally timeless. It's it's not a branding attempt at all. Uh, but of course, that's true. The first letters were, you know, the first mail delivery in the U.S. was, well, at some point, it's just a guy in a pouch with a three-color cornered hat, but eventually it was horses. Right. And uh, in urban areas, as density increased, it was horse-drawn wagons. At first, these open wagons called regulation wagons, and then what were called screen wagons. They would put in a metal mesh to protect the mail from theft and from the elements. And this was kind of brought about by the dawn of Parcel Post in 1913. Right. Where people started mailing stuff worth stealing. Because, um... Well, Sears Roebuck probably played a role in that, didn't they? Right. Sears Roebuck existed before Parcel Post was rolled out on January 1st, 1913. But it was a game changer for the idea that you could deliver things to people instead of having them go to a shop. Uh, The post office delivered 300 million packages in its first six months of being a parcel service. And Sears Roebuck's business quintupled that year. Like they, you know, five times their revenue. How were parcels delivered before U.S. mail parcel service? I believe it was a private, uh, you know, the Wells Fargo wagon would come to town and I assume that's because the same private company issuing the catalog would take care of distribution. Oh, interesting. Um, so Sears Roebuck probably had its own in-house set of uh, ice wagon-like things. Uh-huh. And the U.S. Mail could just have a guy zipping around. Uh, it was motorcycles for a while. Um, it, the first cars, uh, I think in 1906 in Baltimore, the post office had its first automotive attempt at delivering mail. And they found that it was great. You know, a gas powered auto had downsides, but it could deliver twice the mail. It could deliver the mail of essentially two horse drawn wagons. And at that point they were in. Right. Um, and the horse drawn mail wagon actually was a popular toy. Uh, like in a, your childhood, not in my childhood, <laughs> but, but, uh, like toy collectors now collect these little, uh, that's what you're getting from eBay. Die cast. You're getting weird, weird old man toy. toys of uh, they're like those Noah's arcs and pe- piggy banks where Lincoln takes a penny and puts it in his hat or something. Uh, you know, like little mechanized he toys. Get, he gets walks to the theater, gets shot, penny rolls out into the bank. Oh, you're awful. Is uh, does the is the mail wagon toy interactive in some way? Do the horses clip clop or anything? I mean, it's it's a toy. It, it the wheels turn and you can. I guess, deliver the mail, you know. You're not making it sound that fun. You're not not selling me. Kids back then had really boring toys. And so like delivering the mail seemed really exciting to them. I mean, that's true. Like uh, if your options are a rock or a stick, you know, if you're, if you get Noah's Ark for Christmas, you'll be like, whoa, this is neither a rock nor a stick. Thank you. A mail truck. 
So it was motorcycles until 1913 when, you know, you couldn't put enough packages in your sidecar. Suddenly they needed the space. And uh, in the 1930s, it was just very common for them to get, you know, Ford would sell them a Model A chassis, which they would kind of build a big box on and make into a, a makeshift van. They'd put a van body on it. And uh, that was mail delivery for, there was no standardized truck. It was, you know, putting these together from whatever chassis they had. There were these sit and stand trucks uh, oh, yeah. in the fifties with had like a folding seat. So for kind of short runs, you would never sit down. You would stand up and drive around, which yeah. I can't even imagine. Is well, that... they do it now. UPS drivers often don't sit down as they're driving around. Um, Seems like the pedals would be tricky. Yeah, maybe. I, uh, I mean, milk trucks, right? That's how milk trucks were. Those, right. those. Because uh, you're never sitting down for long enough. You're just driving to the next house. Right. So why, you know, like I'm getting to the age where I can't get in and out of a car without going like. Ugh, oh, wait, garbage ugh. trucks do the same thing. Garbage truck drivers don't sit down. And some often. of them get to jauntily hang off the side. Oh, that's such a great job. That's why kids fixate on. Uh, have you ever have you ever known a kid that fixated on trash and sanitation collection? I, no. I like I know kids that are just obsessed with it and will just wait and look out the window. They, 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 you know, they're they're seventeen, eighteen years old. <laughs> right, right. Well, sure. Trash trash trucks have uh, have big robot arms. They have big mashers and and. Uh, they're they're mechanized, but in like four different ways. And kids are not troubled by bad smells. And they're super kids, loud. Kids smell bad all the time yeah. and don't even notice. So it's yeah. per, it's perfect. Actually, all garbage trucks should be driven by children. Agreed. All children should go into the garbage. <laughs> all children are garbage, <laughs> is what John is saying. They're trash, basically. Um, there were some other uh, odd, you know, the sit-stand truck was not the biggest oddity. Uh, at some point, they rolled, uh, I think around the uh, 60s or 70s, they rolled out these uh, three-wheeled vehicles called Mailsters. I remember them. Do you, they're essentially just motorcycles with kind of a van body yeah, yeah, no, I put on those. top of them. And I guess everyone who drove them hated them. Ch children loved them. Because what is this three-wheeled thing zipping around? But they rolled, right? They, they were totally top-heavy. <laughs> they would roll in a high wind. I guess at one point they weren't heated, so the carriers hated it. Then they put in heaters and the carriers all started dying of carbon monoxide poisoning because right. they weren't good heaters. So the Maelster was, you know, beloved by everyone who didn't actually have to use one. And then in the 50s through the 80s, as you said, uh, Jeeps were very common. Um, to this day... You can buy a Jeep Wrangler that is right-hand drive right. in America because they make them for the domestic market. Yep. Yeah. Uh, right-hand drive because that's the side that would be closest to the curb. You want to be on the curb. And I guess I was thinking about this. Like the convention is always that the uh, driver should be closest to traffic. It, it, and is there towards any, the center. Towards the center of the road, sorry, uh, oncoming traffic. Is yeah. there any automotive or safety reason for that? Or is that just a, a relic of, of horse-drawn carriages for some reason? Well, not even that. I mean, in the United Kingdom and in all of its overseas territories and in Japan, uh, the driver sits on the right-hand side of the car. Right, but, but there they are close to the center of the road is what I'm saying. Oh, I see what you're saying. They're driving right, on the left-hand side of the road in a right-hand drive car. And it's, so it seems like every every place has chosen to manufacture cars such that the driver is closer to the center of the road. Well, I guess it's probably to avoid, I mean, if you're going to have a collision with something because you can't judge the distance, I think you'd rather have a collision. Yeah, you'd rather have your outside rear view mirror bashed on a mailbox 
then have your outside rearview mirror bashed into a car going the opposite direction. You know, that's true. And that's the biggest problem I had driving in the UK. Have you ever driven uh, on places where... (laughs) I have. (laughs) My parents moved to Singapore uh, when I was... The same year I moved to college. So they had to learn how to do left-hand drive. And they were like, you know, it's no problem. Like your, your brain will suddenly just kind of mirror and you will start thinking of a right-hand turn, not as a right-hand turn, but as the easy turn. Right. So when you turn left, you're still actually thinking, I'm doing my right-hand turn thing. You know, like you, you, direction becomes divorced from the, the easy turn versus the difficult turn. Yeah, the first time I ever was on tour in England, uh, it was a solo tour, and I landed at Heathrow, rented a car, which had a manual transmission. And this was your first time? First time ever. And I My dro- parents got automatic for the first time because they did not want to shift with the other hand. No, I drove out of the parking garage, made a right, and was on the road and driving into the center of London where the club was that I was going to play that night. And I was like, okay, left hand is doing the shifting. And now what the, I mean, I was just completely baffled. Could you do it? Like- well, what I ended up doing was I got behind a bus and I said, follow the bus. And the, What if that bus was not going to the, the club playing your delightful acoustic show? Well, I kept following that bus until I sensed that it was going a different direction. And then I found a different bus. <laughs> I got behind a car that took me to another bus. And so I just stayed behind the bus and did what the bus did. And through doing that, over, because I was there in, in the UK then for weeks and weeks playing these shows, and gradually I learned how to drive there. But it, uh, at first it was just like, this is adorable, like Just you Im- imprinting bus. like a baby duckling. I did, it was exactly like that. Upon your mama, your mama bus. Was yeah. it a double-decker bus? It was a double-decker bus. And as soon as I lost one, I just felt so alone until I found another bus. That, and there are a lot of buses in London, so I always had a friend. When it comes to meat, quality makes a huge difference in texture and taste. And even though it might be better for you and the environment, a lot of the higher quality meat you find at the grocery store is just too expensive for most people's budget. Thankfully, there's ButcherBox. ButcherBox believes everyone deserves access to high-quality, humanely sourced meat at an affordable price. That's why each month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of the finest cuts right to your home. Choose from 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage pork, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, and sugar and nitrate-free bacon. No antibiotics, no added hormones, just meat the way meat should be. And right now, you can get Get two pounds of ground beef and two packs of bacon absolutely free, plus $20 off your first box when you visit butcherbox.com slash iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. That's butcherbox.com slash iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. So Mindy, when we are somewhere where there's a left-hand drive, Mindy often ends up, my wife often ends up driving. Uh, Mindy, as you know, as the mailman knows. That's right. Uh, because, not because she loves driving on the opposite side of the road, it, it terrifies her, but because she does not want to navigate either. Oh. And she would rather not navigate than not drive. But I think the one time that I ended up driving, we were out in the British countryside somewhere. Like the hardest thing for me was not to to, to realize you're on the left and to turn into the left lane, you know, the left lane of things. It was actually just being in the right point within the lane. Yeah, right. Because, you know, it, you feel you like you, you feel like you're way over in the wrong part of the lane because your uh, steering wheel is in the, in the other part of the car. So you try to plant yourself behind the left part of the lane and yeah. suddenly you're, you're, you're clipping your mirror on uh, the village pub. Or, right, it happens whatever. a lot. My, the, the hardest adjustment for me was that I kept looking up and to the right 
for my rear view mirror. Mm. Like I, everything else was, I was shifting with properly. I was driving properly. I was looking around me properly, but my rear view mirror was just so, so basic to me as being up and to the right. I could never, you know, train myself to instinctively look up and to the left. 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 The hardest part really of driving in England for me is learning all the different ways that they swear at each other on the road. And a lot of them are silent, like caustic looks, but there is some shouting too. And I needed to learn a whole new lexicon. You do have to like get away from the one finger. You got to get to the two finger. To the two fingers. You have to be able to stare straight ahead, even as someone is looking directly at you, asking you if you can merge. You just stare straight ahead with jaw clenched. You can't. You can't. You can't. You a can't. lot of a lot that's, of traffic that's, mores. In that's England. essentially British foreign policy, anyway. You know, like <laughs> Gandhi's marching to the sea, and the British are staring straight it's ahead. Like, no, no, no. My walrus mustache is clenched. <laughs> So the post office did not standardize their mail delivery vehicles for the, you know, a full century. And that ended in 1985 when they decided we should have a fleet. It should be all the same thing. And so in, you know, quasi-governmental style, they took bids. And, you know, they had all these requirements for what one of these vehicles had to do. And it's pretty insane. It's, you know, the life of a mail truck is punishing. Right. I mean, they start, stop, start, stop. I can't even imagine it. All It's got to be the worst thing for, uh, and also the worst mileage. I mean, those things I'm sure are getting like six miles to the gallon. But here's the list of the requirements that their new fleet of mail trucks would have to have as they're taking bids. Um, they made them drive almost 6,000 miles on a closed loop, five mile long paved road at freeway speeds. Then they, this is the testing, drive 11,000 miles on a gravel road at 30 to 45 miles an hour, drive 3,000 miles over a shouldered road, stopping every 250 feet and accelerating to 15 miles per hour every time in between. Can you imagine being a test driver? What a miserable test drive. This they, it was, they did it in Laredo, Laredo, Texas, I guess, looking for someplace to do a, a miserable test drive. They chose Laredo. Sorry, Laredo. And they would do these tests of 24,000 miles of all these prototypes. Uh, 1,000 miles over cobblestones. The height of the cobblestones <laughs> defined as ranging from 3 to 4 inches high at 10 to 15 miles an hour. Drive a thousand miles over potholes at the same speed. Where did they find a thousand miles of potholes? I guess they had a loop. A right? Any road in Laredo, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Haul a one ton pound load during half of the road test, because um, you know often one ton is a lot, but uh, I think mail trucks will often have room for a thousand pounds of of parcels. Well, at Christmas time, certainly. sure. Haul a man and a four hundred pound load during one half of the road test. I don't know what that means. Was it, wouldn't there always be a man? Second man. Uh, a second man. The, the man is being pulled behind like uh, like Yakima Canut. Drive over potholes ensuring that each wheel... Oh my gosh. Drive over potholes ensuring that each wheel hits a pothole 35,000 times. Huh. How, how do you even run that test? Like, is the driver mentally counting each wheel? Okay, I'm up to 17,800 in the front left wheel, but only 16,400 in the front right wheel. Uh, make 100 consecutive stops for 15 miles per hour. So this incredibly punishing test over the weirdest course ever created of gravel, potholes, cobblestone, and freeway. And it had to have a weather-tight aluminum alloy body because famously the post office is not cowed by... By rain or wind or, or sleet or, or dark, dark of, of night. night. 
But really, they are. I've never seen them delivering in Dark of Night. So apparently well, that's BS, and they are terrified of the dark. They continue to deliver from mail stop to mail, like from uh, distribution point to distribution sure. point. We, it's true. We only see the last mile, and we right. think that's what it takes to get the mail. And th that's just one link in the chain. That's you're, right. You're absolutely right. Did you know that's not the official motto of the Postal Service, by the way? Oh, what is the Postal Service motto? Um... Uh, Thank God for Amazon. Yeah. No, no. Amazon is, is, uh, I guess the mail does deliver quite a bit of Amazonian stuff, doesn't it? I think, I, I think Amazon is like their one growth, uh, measure because email and social media have replaced the, the lost letters. art of letter writing. Sure you know, have. nothing chaps my hide more than people <laughs> bemoaning the lost art of letter writing. Why is that? Because I, I don't think there's anything delightful at all. Like, uh. I mean, I'm glad that we have old letters as a picture of the time, but I'm never like, ah, oh, what a beautiful, you know, I love sitting down to write a letter to my distant friends. Do you have a, do you have a, a box of old letters that you got before letters went away? I do. And it's delightful that I had them as a memento, but I remember writing and receiving them and it's all just like, well, dad, uh, I guess that about, I'm like Hawkeye writing home, except I'm at college instead of in Korea. Well, dad, I guess that about sums it up. Uh, not much going on here this week. Like 90% of a letter is, boy, not much to tell. Yeah. My well, mom has so many letters from her grandmother that are just like that. Well, rain today and the corn is coming in. Uh, I, a chicken walked by. I like old postcards at, uh, at, at junk and, and thrift and vintage stores, yeah. but inevitably there's something beautiful on the front. It's some odd mid-century tourist attraction. And then on the back, it's just like, boy, weather here, great. Uh, can't wait to see you uh, when we get home. Right. Boy, thanks. Unfortunately for me, a lot of the letters that I wrote and letters that I kept. Are pornographic. Well, not pornographic, but definitely romance e letters. Emo. Worse, and, worse than porn, emo. And, and romance letters from when I was like younger and so much more dramatic. So they're all letters like, my darling. You're, I, are, you, are you in a Ken Burns documentary? I think of you every moment. <laughs> a, and A moment does not pass here on the battlefield when I do not think of your love and arms. <laughs> Truly, my darling, if I die today, it will be with your name on my lips. It's true that the end of every entry in the omnibus is kind of based on a Ken Burns letter. But if providence allow, <laughs> I do hope that the good Lord will allow me. <laughs> it's true, but I have a lot of scented letters. I have a lot of letters on purple stationery. Wow. With big swooping handwriting saying, my dearest Joan, I miss you so don't die in the indie rock irony wars. <laughs> Come back to me, darling. Were you, uh, were you, were, were you dispatched in the rock and roller cola wars? I was, I was. Well, I was, you know, I was in the temples of Syrinx. Do you have a, uh, any French letters? I do. I have a letter. I had a, I had a pen pal in France. I had a pen pal in Scotland. I, I was actually joking. Do you know what a French letter is? Oh, it's what is it's a, a euphemism. I'm not even going to say. People are going to have to look it up. It's a dirty something. Well, is this, is this an example of you I'm, I'm being all, dirty? I'm not all repressed like you. I don't think of this as dirty. I see. I see. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about, John? It's a beautiful thing that happens between a man and whatever. Right. Not uh, even a man. It doesn't even have to be a man anymore. No, it happens between them and they. Actually, it does have to be a man in this case. Oh, the French letter? Because I know what it is. Boy, I'm going to look this up <laughs> soon. Um, how did we get on this? Oh, I was saying that I don't think of letter writing as a lost art. Yeah. 
I like, I miss handwriting. I would say calligraphy is the only thing I care about. Like when I see somebody write a check in an old movie, I'm like, oh, Barbara Stanwyck, you I know, know. like I, we're, I was at a store the other day and someone wrote a check and I did not have that feeling. <laughs> I was like, are you serious right now? You're writing a check. Were they, uh, were they, is it an elderly person? It was not. It was a younger person and she made some like, she made some uncomfortable joke to the cashier where you could see that she was chagrined at having to write a check. And so I didn't make any fuss about it because it's, it's not good for her. Either. Yeah. It's some kind of thing that she didn't want to be writing a check either, but that's why I don't, that's why I'm not big on Seattle berating the homeless. Like they're not into it either. Yeah. Right. Like they, they don't want to be there either. Well, and it's true of drug addicts too. Like nobody really is right. super into it past a certain point. You right. should never, yeah, you should never be, tell somebody like, Hey, uh, you should lose some weight yeah. or, uh, Hey, get off drugs. Don't smoke so much. Yeah. They know. But you know, what I, what I find, what I miss about handwriting is that, uh, texting, emailing, it's too easy to edit. And in the old days, if you started a sentence and you got halfway through and you were like, what am I saying? You had to be pretty adroit at changing, you know, like without changing your tense too much, you had to, fi- you had to finish that sentence somehow. And uh, without, you know, being a letter writer who crossed a bunch of stuff out. And with email, you know, I'll start a sentence and I'll delete it and start it again. I will spend half an hour on a two-sentence email because I'm trying to strike just the right tone of casual joviality, but also where's the check or, 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 you know, whatever you're trying to convey. And old letters you didn't, you know, if you started like, oh, my darling, and then realized like, oh, do I really want to call her darling? It's sort of too late. That's when you're right. Clementine (laughs) is my favorite campfire song. (laughs) That's, I think that is why so many of old letters really are just like nothing to report. It's, it's automatic writing, you know, it's just somebody's wrist moving until they think of something to say. Right. And then it turns into a story. So. Mail trucks. Mail trucks. What a segue. We have, thank you. These old letters were often contained in trucks. I'm pretty gifted at segues. (laughs) So, uh, so we have this new truck that has withstood all of these abuses. Right. And, and, uh, and other weird structural, uh, requirements too. For example, the body of the truck had to be easy to enter and exit for carriers because, you know, mail carriers not off, you know, sometimes elderly folks or people not in the best of shape. Like, like I say, getting in and out of my little Chevy is not my favorite thing, right. at, even at 45. And so they had, and they had to um, accommodate a mail carrier for either from four feet, 11 inches tall to six foot two. Oh, if you were six foot four, you couldn't deliver the mail? Or at least the truck is not designed now, for wait, you. No, wait, I know that's not stoop. true because my grandfather was a very tall man. Well, but, th- but this was probably pre-mail truck. This is, yeah, exactly. This would have been in 85. Right. Six foot two being the highest height anyone could imagine. Wow. In 1982. Right. I, I assume, uh, it, it's not, I'm not saying that the, it's not like being a fighter pilot where if you're six foot four, you're out. Right. But the truck is not built to accommodate you. 210 pounds was the limit because we, we can laugh at that in 1982. <laughs> Boy. That, was, that, that eliminates was the, 89% that was, of Americans. In 1982, that was the fat guy on hee-haw. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the most important thing is just the durability of it because they wanted these things to last forever and they had to run 20 hours a day, seven days a week for years, hmm. which explains why we wound up with these kind of huge boxy aluminum things. Um, the contract was won by Grumman. Right. The, the aircraft the manufacturer. The aircraft manufacturer. Um best known for supplying, I don't know why I'm doing the John part of this podcast. Yeah, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> play, I, I, you, you, can, be, you can start correcting me and or telling me what the Admiral told you about these planes. Uh, During World War II, Grumman was the one that supplied the Hellcat, the Wildcat, basically any Navy plane with cat in the name. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, they, they had a goose as well. Is that right? Yeah. What was it called? 
The Grumman goose. Oh. <laughs> Grumman. I mean, they didn't manufacture I thought it was going to be the wild goose or the tiger goose or the hell goose or something. So the hell cat, the wild cat. The, the hell goose. The, the bear cat, the thundercats, uh, ho. But they continue to make uh, airplanes all the way to the Tomcat. Right. The F-14. Right. They, they made a fighter plane. And also the intruder and the Hawkeye. I think the Hawkeye is some kind of a... It's one of these. It's got it's a, a radar. Yeah, airplane. it's got an umbrella yeah. looking thing on top. So it must be a radar plane. Also... They made the lunar module. Yes, all 13 Apollo limbs. So every time Neil Armstrong or whatever made some joke about how this thing was farmed out to the lowest bidder, he was thinking of Grumman, of Grumman yeah. I guess. But as an aircraft, despite the fact that they were an aircraft contractor, an aircraft manufacturer and military contractor, right. they kept their... Uh, wing in trucking uh, in the automotive. Uh, I think they started out actually making Jeep parts as kind of a bridge when they were trying to start out and trying to get World War II contracts. So they always had uh, uh, you know plants for that. Well, there there was quite a bit of that, right? I mean, during the war, a lot of auto manufacturers were transitioned over to making tanks and and airplanes. Which right? way did Rolls Royce go? Did they make plane engines first, or did, and then car, or, was I it, think, or are they the other way around? Well, Rolls Royce. Uh, was an early... I know that's not an American example. They were an early manufacturer of both things. Yeah. And I think the Rolls-Royce division that made uh, airplane engines and the Rolls-Royce that made cars were separate entities. So Grumman won the contract to make uh, the the lunar module of mail delivery. And from 1986 to 1994, they produced hundreds of thousands of these identical big aluminum boxes. There are 215,000 of them in operation. Oh. And I guess everyone who has ever driven one maybe loves being a letter carrier for all I know, but they are no fun to drive. You're, you're sitting in the uh, right-hand side again, so you can reach out into mailboxes. Uh, if you, have you ever been inside one of these? There's no passenger seat. Right. The passenger seat's been removed and they have a series of metal trays that I guess are used to collate the mail in, in whatever. I don't know if they have a system they have to use or if they're allowed to, they have the, uh, what do you call it? The uh, discretion to come up with their own. It's like the car in Grindhouse. <laughs> it's exactly like, <laughs> it's like the, uh, does that have the same name as the car in Kill Bill that we, that we probably should not say on the podcast? Oh, no, uh, it no, doesn't. No, I'm sure not. So there and, are then more the than... and then the back is all for parcels. Have you always wanted to learn to play an instrument? Maybe you've even tried at some point, but gave up because you felt lessons were too expensive or that you just didn't have the time. Thankfully, there's Musician. Musician is the fun, easy, and affordable way to learn guitar, piano, bass, ukulele, and even singing. Just download the app to your desktop, tablet, or phone and start playing. Musician gives you 24-7 access to a vast catalog of video lessons from professionally trained educators, as well as thousands of exercises and songs across dozens of music genres, all tailored to your goals. And with Musician's award-winning technology that listens to you play, you'll get real-time feedback on timing and accuracy so you can actually see yourself improving as you learn. Start your extended 14-day free trial of Musician's Premium Plus package at musician.com start. That's unlimited access to thousands of lessons, exercises, and songs on as many instruments as you want for two whole weeks. Just go to musician.com slash start. That's Y-O-U-S-I-C-I-A-N dot com slash start. There are 200, more than 200,000 of these? 215,000 still in operation. Wow. Um, Grumman built them on a, the chassis of an 
of a Chevy Blazer, an S10 Blazer. Oh, sure. Oh, interesting. But they used the front of a two-wheel drive Blazer and the back of a four-wheel drive Blazer with the result that the front wheels are closer together than the rear. The axles are different lengths. You can see that when you look at it. It's sort of an awkward-looking construction. And I guess it is not fun to drive, but the upside of this is super tight turn radius. Oh, right. Because these guys are always having to turn down little cul-de-sacs and whatnot to get to the mailboxes. And so these things, despite the fact that they look like tanks, can turn on a dime, apparently. But they're rear-wheel drive. So they are. there's all kinds of driving conditions where they are just terrible. You'd think the Postal Service would have been like... Four-wheel drive. Yeah, snow and sleet and dead of night. Let's get all-wheel drive on this baby. And no, they're terrible in snow. Um, not just because of the rear-wheel drive, but because they have really low ground clearance. So literally anything that falls, the the truck hates it. And it's a constant challenge for these guys to actually deliver in snow and sleet and dead of night. They're incredibly slow. I mean, they're ugly, but they're also very slow. Um, <laughs> they have a, uh, the engine, it's a three-speed automatic transmission lashed to a, a 2.5 liter four-cylinder engine that letter carrier is called the Iron Duke. Which, well, so the Iron Duke is actually a, uh, it's yeah. a, oh, go ahead. It's a GM engine from basically the worst era. It's, it's what GM put in these early 80s uh, Camaros and Firebirds. You should mm -hmm. be happy I said Camaro in a non-weird way. This uh -huh. time. It's a Pontiac motor. Right. Uh, you know, and from the worst era. And so it has, it's, you know, four cylinders. So this thing has no power at all. You, 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 you can push down the gas as hard as you want. And apparently it will do nothing but very noisily. Uh -huh. you're, you're like full on like pintoing. <laughs> yeah. So the, the, the most terrifying thing for these uh, fine men and women is having to take it on the highway because what you, you know, have to do in order to get away, get from the mail delivery station to the neighborhood. I would assume so. Yeah. And yet merging onto a highway just fills these guys <laughs> with terror every time because this thing can barely go. I mean, even in the tests, you, you know, you saw that the loop they were having to do on a, on a paved road, their 6,000 mile loop was, you know, peaked at 55 miles an hour, which is, I think still the speed limit when they were specking these out Sure, in 1982. Is that it what was, I said? 85. Yeah. Well, either one, it was, still would have been uh, I can't 55. Remember, I can't remember when the repeal was. That should be an entry yeah. in the omnibus, for sure. There's no uh, radio. There's no clock. There's really no nothing. It's super minimalist inside, if you're into that. Like, that's your new aesthetic, I know. I mean, my, it is. I'm, I'm going minimal. I'm not getting rid of any belt buckles, but I'm definitely getting rid of all these fedoras. Do you want everything you drive to be mid-century modern? I was thinking about that. If I, if I bought some Lincoln Continental or some, like, super cool... Early 60s Pontiac. Or big aluminum mail truck. Mm. It's perfect. Listen, there's no radio. There's no clock. I like both those it's things. It's just a blank dashboard <laughs> with a like a, a, a gauge cluster from an 80s uh, Chevy Blazer, if you can imagine that. No, now you're starting to lose me. <laughs> uh, very minimal and just, uh, like a very simple, cheap steering wheel that says Chevrolet. Well, and, so for uh, years, and crank windows, for example. You could buy uh, surplus Jeeps until very recently, I still see a few of them on the road and they were cheap. And I remember looking at them and thinking, maybe I'll be that guy, the mail truck guy, like get a mail truck, paint it with spray paint. You're the mail truck guy. And then I realized, don't be the mail truck guy. You could be the Jeep guy, but then you kind of have to wear uh, like a Kaiser helmet or something. Well, I did think about that, how difficult it would be to take the mail truck body off and just build yourself a right hand drive Jeep. <laughs> but it would be harder than it looks. You could just use the uh, the weird 
blazer chassis of these mail trucks so you get the tight turning radius put a blazer but you take out the big aluminum box and make it look like the batmobile or yeah whatever you want it to look like so there are two hundred fifteen thousand of these still in operation but the fleet's getting old so you may get your dream of inheriting one of these yeah One hundred forty thousand of these are uh, older than 20 years old there's a good chance that your letter carrier's truck is older than he or she is. It's funny because I still think of them as the new mail truck. Right. So when they go by, I'm always like, oh, there they are, ruining everything. Well, for a lot of people, do you see, I, I feel like I still see the, these mail, these Grumman's, uh, they're, they're called the LLV, the Grumman LLV for long life vehicle. That was really all they wanted, not to have to think about this for 20 or 30 years. That, that's so 2001, like the long life vehicle. Really? That's what you came up with? But they are reaching the end of their long lives. I guess in a lot of urban areas, they now have more discretion. You know, mail carriers can just drive whatever makes sense for them. So there are plenty of Dodge caravans out there. You know, there's a fleet of mom minivans delivering mail in suburban and rural areas where, huh. that, where that makes more sense. I'm not sure that I want that. I mean, when you're in rural areas, you do see rural mail delivery vehicles, which are independent, privately owned vehicles that have a have signs on they the can doors. put like a Domino's pizza thing yeah. on the, on the roof. Yeah, they basically do. And then they deliver the mail, the US mail logo. out in their own neighborhoods. But I don't know if I want to see minivans delivering the mail. Do you like the, uh, the idea of a vast militaristic fleet crisscrossing the country? You like the uniformity of it? I feel like the, the gradual disintegration of the U S mail is one of the great tragedies of time. And I, I, I can't sit and argue that the mail is, I mean, it's the post office isn't particularly efficient and it isn't. I'm not, I'm not going to get down on the post office. Well, I mean, you not know, not in the Trump era when the president's getting down on the, post I know office. I can't get down on it either, but you know, the most of the mail I get is those last vestiges of bills that I haven't transferred over to automatic pay and then a bunch of junk. I mean, Comcast Xfinity sends me, Sure. Four letters a week trying to get me to do what? I don't know. They know one of them is going to, one of them is going to make the difference. One of these days you're going to be like, you know what? I've thrown away 8,000 of these, yeah. but you know, this is the one. I'm going to see, see what the deal is, Xfinity. What is the deal? And then down at the bottom, it'll say this deal, not uh, applicable to anyone that has current service. And it's like, you're the only cable provider or internet provider in my neighborhood. It's like not, I don't have a choice. It's not just email replacing letters. I mean, think of all the other stuff, uh, magazines, for example. I don't order from the Sears catalog anymore. I still do get magazines. They're doing okay on, on parcels just because of, of Amazon. But yeah, I mean, magazines, you know, American families in the fifties and sixties would get four, four to 10 magazines a week. And sure. that would be their big entertainment. Sure. It uh, was mine. Wait for the Saturday evening post. But, you know, I decry the death of the American passenger rail system and its consolidation into Amtrak, which is a pretty hard pill to swallow. But you'll, you're, you're noticing now, like, the real estate that's owned by the U.S. Postal Service is starting to get converted. You know, the, they often have big, big buildings right in the center of town. Like in Portland, Oregon, there's a huge post, postal would, delivery. You, it was a, yeah, and it was a destination, too. You'd have to go to the post office right. to take advantage of some of those services. And now that's being redeveloped into, because it's in the center of what is now the hippest part of town. I guess what I decry is the loss of the old mailman uniform, which honestly made them look like cops for some reason. Well, speedy delivery. <laughs> right. It's Mr. McFeely. Mr. McFeely was the last one still wearing a policeman style hat for uh -huh. some reason. Like he has to look like a general. Why do you have to look like a general when you're delivering the mail? Today, it's just these guys in, uh, you know, 
cargo shorts and a polo, a blue polo. But to deal with the the aging of the fleet, uh, in 2015, the U.S. Post Office announced they were uh, opening bids for the successor of the Grumman LLV. And dumb government acronyms are not gone. This is the NGDV, which sounds like a Soviet-era intelligence agency. Do you have any guess about what the NGDV stands for? New Government Delivery Vehicle. You are half right. Oh. Next Generation Delivery Vehicle. Oh, Next Generation Delivery Vehicle. So really, the only thing they know for sure about this truck is that it will chronologically follow the previous one. Uh-huh. That's, that's uh-huh. all they're willing to commit to. No, that's not true. They have they have better requirements this time. They want a van style body. They want sliding side doors this time because apparently they regret the fact that the guy has to go around to the back. Oh, they don't have sliding side doors? Do they? Wait. Well, I, guess, I mean, I guess, I no, th- He uh, the I male think- person jumps out of the door, right? Yeah, I think you have to go around to the back. Is that true? You know, when I was talking about the little the little mailman uh, logo, I've spent the entire show trying to figure out what the heck I was talking about. I can now picture this. It's a it's a little cartoon guy, right? Yeah, and his what name is, is Mr. Zip. Oh, it's and the he zip was code supposed guy. to introduce the idea of zip codes to people, Mr. Zip. It's true that zip codes do seem really fun. Now but, that I, the funny thing about Mr. Zip is he's not in some kind of. Um, kind of quaint mid-century style. He comes, because he was developed in the late 60s, it's kind of the end of traditional cartooning and the beginning of kind of UPA, Gerald McBoing-Boing style minimalist cartooning. So he looks insane. He he's looks really like, crazy looking. He's like a drug-addled free-to-be-you-and-me segment. So zip codes were introduced in 1963, and Mr. Zip was a feature of my, of my childhood, trying to convince people like, put this number at the end of your letters, damn it. Because they're, you know, you used to just say like, this letter's addressed to old Bob who lives out by the tree. Out and, back. And it would make it to him. But then zip codes came in when there were when there there were more than seven thousand Americans. And that was the cutoff. Uh, and I remember Mr. Zip. I really do. Funny guy. You should really, if you I'm not looking at a picture of Mr. Zip right now, you really should because he really he looks like he was drawn by a child. It's hard to believe that it's actually an official marketing tool of anything, much less the massive U.S. mail yeah, service. The, uh, the, but it worked. People started writing zip codes. The world is weird. From what I can tell. Uh-huh. Like maybe the transition to the metric system would have gone better if we had had... A Mr. Metric. It could have been Mr. Met. It could have been that baseball dude from, <laughs> from, Mets, from Mets games. Not only am I the mascot of a losing baseball team. Instead, we had people out shooting out kilometers per hour speed limit signs. Mr. Zip is terrifying. Maybe it scared people into using the zip code. Like, yeah, he's like a boogeyman. Mm-hmm. Like, if you don't write these five digits, Mr. Zip Here is going to come live in your closet. <laughs> anyway, the new trucks have to have uh, the sliding side doors. They have to be safer. Like, you know, the old trucks don't have airbags or anything. Right. Like, all these guys are just going to die immediately. Right. Um, so the, the new the new trucks might actually be safer. And they're open to, like, hybrid or electric options. Of course, they should be. Which, you know, because if you're, the stop and start, stop and start does not trouble an, uh, an electric or hybrid motor the same way it does uh, the Iron Duke. Right. Giving you your four you mile per hour wear and efficiency tear. or whatever. Um, also, so, I don't know how much extra pollution those 25-year-old LLVs are adding to the atmosphere. Yeah, how much do you think they've refitted them for new eco-regulation? Zero amount. So there's, yeah, 215,000 of these things spitting out 1985 levels of exhaust. And this is going to be a $6.3 billion contract in wow. our age. So this That's going to anger Trump. huge. Well, there's been some discussion about what happens in the Trump era. The, uh, the uh, winner of the bid was supposed to be announced in early 2018. 
and it hasn't happened yet. There are five leading prototypes. Who made them? Ford, Chevy, No, uh, they are all kind of niche companies. The the one you may have heard of is (laughs) AMC. Studebaker. The one you may have heard of is AM General, the company which makes Humvees and Hummers. Right. Um, and they may be the front runner because of, uh, you know, the military connection and also just the protectionism that might be implied in a Trump administration. They may buy American, even though two of the bidders, um, one is a Turkish company and one is an Indian mm-hmm. manufacturer. I think both in concert with, uh, with, a, you know, an American co-contractor. Right. It's going to, the, the mail trucks are going to be made by Bijaj. They're going to be basically Vespas with, uh, with canopies. Uh, Mahindra, Mahindra, in fact, is the Indian manufacturer. And and the main difference they want to see in these new NGDVs is that they have to have a much larger parcel volume because the old trucks were ordered in an era when you were delivering letters, magazines, and leaflets right. with the occasional box from grandma, a fun afterthought. And now it's people just getting eight Amazon boxes a day and it's gonna, it's like... Sure. Here's your 24 pack of LaCroix in right. every flavor right. every week. Here's your couch, literally <laughs> your couch. So these things have to accommodate because uh, parcel volume, as we were saying, is one of the rare growth sectors for the post office right now. Um, parcel volume has been growing at a double digit rate annually. Is the post office going to open post office fresh where they deliver your fruits and vegetables? It's a tricky call for them to make, right? Because uh, e-tail companies like Amazon, I know you love e-tail. I do love the word e-tail. And you love the process e-tail. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the fun of sitting down at your computer having a little e-tail therapy. You know, a lot we, of these- We e-tailed the other day. We e-tailed a recorder to uh, record our live show. That's right. Uh, you wanted to get out and go to Guitar Center. And I was like, ke- I'm going to the Guitar Center. And keep a brick and mortar business in operation. And I was like, John, that is so 2002. Yeah. We don't care if these places die on the vine. You said, watch this. And then you had the package sent to your house, although you had no idea how to use the product. Well, here's the thing. I somehow thought that you knew how to use the product. <laughs> I do. So the product comes to my house and then I get the text that says, hey, how do I get that from you so I can learn how to use it? Well, and that's when I learned. But that's what a technique, that, you, know, you always want to practice a little bit with a tech thing. That's a fair point. But I, yeah, I was sitting in a park in Kenmore, Washington, and I, I was able to buy this uh, fancy new recorder. Now, was it brought by the Postal Service or was it brought by an independent delivery company? Well, we live in Seattle, which is kind of a city-state at this point run by Jeff, our doge, Jeff Bezos. Mm-hmm. And so often I get Amazon packages that are just delivered by guys in what, station like wagons. A, like a child in a rickshaw? <laughs> right. And, it, and it, they may very well be a uh, bedraggled Amazon employee coming home from work who's been asked to do part of a paper route. Oh my goodness. So I feel awful about the incredible convenience and blessing it is for me. Well, I know. As, as I use it multiple times a day. As an urban liberal, if you don't feel awful about something every day. I feel awful about so many choices that I make yeah, every day. Yeah. Everything you do is hurting someone. Uh, and it really proves that I'm a good person, how much I regret the damage I'm doing to my fellow man. I know. You go on Twitter, you say a few, like you you signal some virtue a couple of times and you can go to bed with a clean conscience. I mean, the only measure of virtue is how much I suffer while doing the wrong thing. Yeah. Like it's a constant reminder to me of, of the existence of non-relativistic good and evil. That's right. I mean, like most liberal materialists, it ends up being about you. And that concludes Mail Trucks. Entry 749.2S1114, certificate number 35752, in the Omnibus.
Futurelings, in the unlikely event that social media still exists in your era, you should feel bad. You should feel bad about it. You should feel bad about being a part of such a negative enterprise. You should also feel bad that social media has threatened the U.S. Postal Service. Is Amazon, is this an Amazon kind of feeling bad where they should still use it and use the feeling bad as a reminder of their oh, essential goodness? Boy, I don't know. That's the thing. If you take away social media, how are people going to feel that the world's troubles are really about them? Who am I going to tell my white liberal guilt to if I'm not on social media? That's my right. family doesn't want to hear it. No, they do not. I don't want to hear it. No. Your friends don't want to and, hear and it. And you don't sure. have any. So like you, you have none to give me in trade. I don't know. I'm living in a bunker. I don't even, I got, I got none of this. Although I do go on our Facebook page to talk to our friends. Uh, we have Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram uh, archived at Omnibus Project. Ken is at Ken Jennings on Twitter, but you know that already because you surely follow him because he's hilarious. You probably bought the book of collected tweets. That's uh, probably for why sale you're in your here. Era. Yeah. I also had a book of collected tweets called Electric Aphorisms, but you will not find it. It was a perfect bound uh, series that are now long, long out of print. Oh, a rare collector's item yeah. for future links to paw through uh, flea markets for. Good luck. I am at John Roderick on Twitter. I also have an Instagram account under the same name. You can email us, and please do, at omnibusproject at howstuffworks.com. Our Facebook group is called The Futurelings. They are smart and wonderful. And you can mail us packages, which will be delivered by the U.S. Postal Service to... Long may they wave. P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. My dearest Henrietta, from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our present situation may last or how long our civilization may survive. We hear tell we may move by dawn, but we hope and pray that this catastrophe we fear may never come. But if the worst comes soon, this letter to you, like all our letters, may be our final word. But if providence allows, dearest Cordelia, we hope the wind will whisper our name to you as we come back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus.